Welcome to episode 12 of the False Line Podcast. Um, I'm Greg Johnson, um, as always, with me. Wait, is it always? You are often here, aren't you? Ten to be, yeah. Ten, yeah. James Dutton. Hello. Hello. Um, Elko Bourne. Hello. You're, you're, you're kind of a regular now as well, aren't you, really? You know? Well, I'm hoping to be. Yeah. And um, stolen from the, the False Line. No, sorry, no. No, stolen <laughs> from the Illustrated Game Podcast. You can't steal from ourselves. That, that would be ludicrous. Um, Alex Stewart, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How how's, you? Your, how's your coffee? It's. I haven't started drinking it yet. It's too hot. Well then, you know, there's something to anticipate and look forward to later. We'll get I, a, I am. Yeah, yeah. wow. Edge mm. of my seat, literally. Just please don't spill on the seat. That would that would be awful. Okay. <laughs> um, speaking of spills, um, Southampton let a lot of players go in the summer. Not that they wanted to. Um, and they found themselves second in the Premier League. Um, they just knocked Arsenal out of the League Cup. Everyone thought they were going to be, you know, on the way out of the, out of the league. What, what's happened? Elka, you were saying Ronald Koeman, Koeman... Calman, was it? Calman. Um, yeah. yeah. um, you were saying he, you didn't think he was up to scratch at the start of the season? Well, the task he was facing looked quite daunting, didn't it? Um, he's a Koeman has achieved some success back in the Netherlands. He did an amazing job with Feyenoord recently. But, no, who would have thought that he'd be doing this well? I didn't think so. Um, usually, Koeman will take a while to sort of get things going. He's pretty good at uh, managing a young squad mm. and, you know, making the best out of a, a dire situation often. But, uh, well, well, yeah, he's doing an amazing job at that at the moment, isn't he? And do you think it is the, the kind of um, the youth focus at Southampton is, is what's allowed him to come in and do so also quickly? I think... That might take a while to really come through because obviously he's just started with his job. I think what we're seeing now is really his... Um, I'm tempted to use the word crisis management, but okay. that might be a bit uh, much. But when he was at Feyenoord, they were in a pretty pretty bad situation. They had no money at all. They had to rely on uh, youth players who... Well, people like Bruno Martinsini and Jordi Classi are known now, but they weren't back then. Mm. And, um, yeah, that was an, a very taunting task as well. And, but that took him a couple of years to turn, really turn that around mm. and, 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 and reach second place in the Eredivisie. They could have won the league that year, but they came in second. So, um, but it might, be, it might be a little bit early, early to, to, to say as well. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, in the summer, Alex, did you feel like your club was a club in crisis? Uh, no, I I had the relentlessly optimistic myopia of a true fan. Um, Just because anyone's confused, Alex, you you are. Oh yeah, I'm a Southampton fan. Yeah. Um, I I don't I don't think I ever felt it was a club in crisis. Um, I I did start to get. Concerned at the combination between um, uh, player sales, managerial departure, and the behind-the-scenes stuff. I think maybe if you've got one or even two of those things happening, then um, you can quite easily segue into the next season without any problems. If you've got all three, um, having said that, I think generally with with the departures. Um, of players we we either had I mean Kerman obviously went like for like in some of his replacements Tadic for Lalana, Pele for Lambert um, 
I was most concerned probably about Lovren going um, out of any of them um, but he seems to have got good performances um, out of Yoshida Font um, target slotted in well at left back in replacement of Luke Shaw uh, I think crucially he's replaced the goalkeeper because I never had any real confidence in Boric mm. and, and Forster's done well for us so far um, I guess it, it surprised me that they've done as well as they have yes um, but I wouldn't have said that we were a club in crisis I think I think it was typical um typical football journalism really hungry for a negative story hungry for something to to shout about after the World Cup um, in the absence of actual football news let's generate a hoo-ha over something Southampton are imploding everyone's weeping and rending their beards and that didn't really happen but it's, it's, to me it sounds difficult to imagine anything worse than what happened at Southampton I mean like you said those three things going on all those players leaving the managerial change well that is a crisis might be a big word but that's that's pretty big I think I think yeah crisis is a big word I think if you look at, at the players that left the two the two that could have been crisis players leaving for me were Lalana because he was club captain and he'd come all the way up from um, League One with us and Lovren because he had an excellent season in a crucial position um I think the thing with Southampton and the reason that means that it possibly wasn't as much of a crisis as it could have been at other clubs is that we've been through worse um, with administration and relegation and also Southampton is a club with a very strong core philosophy of the development of youth players in a certain style of football um, and so while personnel can change Um, what we're seeking to do as a club hasn't changed mm. and, and hopefully won't change. Is it possible that this summer's actually in a way helped Saints? Because, I mean, was there, was there a sense that with Pochettino going and a lot of um, things happening within the team, trying to, almost trying to do an imitation of what was there before would have had a bit of like a second album syndrome, whereas you've had a bit of a clean break this summer, you've kind of had to start from uh, ground zero again. Mm. Um, so rather than having any hangover, you've just kind of switch paths I guess well I I don't think that we switch paths that much I think the style of play is quite similar and for me the most important player in the team last season in terms of setting a precedent for us tactically was Schneiderling and we've, we've retained him um, he's the person who drives the style of football that Southampton plays I, I think Pochettino left the club in very good stead um, and and I, I bear him no ill will at all I hope mm. he does well at Tottenham um, not as well as we do obviously but you know um, I, I think I think the crucial point was that the the players who left wanted to leave yeah and I think there's nothing worse nothing more damaging for a club than retaining players particularly if they are the club's star players when those players no longer want to play for the team um, whether or not you criticise the players for that or you know I'm, I'm not really bothered by that they're not our players anymore so I don't care Fair enough. Um, a lot of them are your players now, though, James. <laughs> so, um, I mean, how, how, how have Liverpool done out of... Well, if I could just talk about Southampton. Well, that, yeah, right? That's fine, yeah. yeah, right. yeah. I like to spread my wings. It's um, because <laughs> we're better than you at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Well, did beat you 2-1. Um, 
a result that looks better every week, <laughs> I might say. Yeah. In a week um, of beef, we've got our first slice in the pod, so <laughs> that's, not, <laughs> that's not real beef. No. no. Can I just say it's very disappointing Sam Dis wasn't able to come to Oh, yeah, he, well, he was meant to be on, wasn't he? But, but, um, uh, no, yeah, it's been called to Paris on urgent business, I believe. No, I think he was having roast beef. Was okay. it? Oh, yeah, he was having roast beef. Yeah. I, I didn't set that up. was roast beef. Yeah, okay. Um, I mean, is that a mum joke? Or, or what are we doing? Like, no? Whatever. Whatever. Um, anyway, um, I do I do believe um, Southampton didn't have as bad a summer as it looked like it was going to be at one point. Because when the uh, the sort of speculation regarding particularly Schneidlin's future looked pretty dreadful at one point, and I think that would definitely have been the the final straw for Southampton. I think if Schneidlin went could have been catastrophic keeping him I think was the most important thing for Southampton um, and you know did get a lot a hell of a lot of money for for Lover and for Lallana for Lambert um, and Shaw and also Southampton you mentioned the, the sort of the core principles of the youth team and you know we're seeing it in Klein and James Ward-Prowse and Jack Cork these these guys are very good very good footballers I'm, I'd be surprised if if the three of them don't get England caps in the next year uh, certainly before the Euros I, yeah. I, I would definitely agree with that um, I mean Klein we did buy um, from Palace but in Cork I think was a Chelsea youth yeah. discard yeah. Um, but it, 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 shows, it shows that Southampton is a very good environment for the young yeah exactly no, no, I, I think um, I think what we very successfully do is um, blend people that have grown up in the area and come through the youth system that way um, with people that have been discarded by other youth systems or that we buy quite young still. Um, for me, Cork was one of the underrated performers of last mm. season. Um, he's very tidy in possession. He's very um, physically fit. He works the pressing game very well. And, and it kind of surprised me that, that people weren't more interested in him, actually, because he wasn't getting regular starts for us. Um, and I, I do think that, that players, younger players in Southampton, um, and you see it with Klein, you see it with Target, you see it with Ward Prowse, who is class, by the way. Grace that piece. Um, yeah, uh, that, that they know if they stay with us, they will get a chance in the first mm. team if they're good enough. And a lot of them are good enough. And I think that's a really healthy and encouraging environment. Contrast that with maybe United or. Chelsea or City those those young players talented players are going to be loaned out to a feeder club mm. or they're going to languish in the reserves mm. or they're going to be there for two years maybe get one or two first team um, opportunities and then be released at Southampton they can build a career and if that career then takes them somewhere else like Liverpool for example fair play to them you know that's I don't have a problem with that Southampton are not going to be a top four team they won't become the end of the season. It would be absurd to suggest that. But if we're a team that can provide young English players with a platform to develop their skills and then go on and play in European competitions with other clubs and do well for England, like Oxley chamberlain for example, yeah. I'm delighted with that. I think yeah. that's brilliant. It's good as well because it means the future of young talent coming through will always look at Southampton and go, that's a place where where I can grow as a footballer mm. and I can get my dream moves in, in the future. I mean, I remember there was a lot of complaints 
certainly when when, uh, when Suarez left Liverpool this summer, it's basically like, oh, why can't we? Why can't we keep hold of these players? You know, why do they always have to move? It's like, well, think about it. Like, if he didn't have that target in his mind of going to one of the best clubs in the world, you're never going to compete with Barcelona and Real Madrid for those yeah. Latin American players. They are the pinnacle, and. The fact that he gave his years to Liverpool to try and get there meant he kept going and played as well as he could. And so being a stepping stone, I, yeah, I don't have a problem with being a stepping stone. I think it's good. I, I think I, I agree with you entirely. Um, I think you're likely, particularly if you are a smaller club, to get the best from people who are trying to excel in order to possibly move to a bigger club. And there are only you know, between five and ten really big clubs in the world anyway. Um, I also personally do have yes I like players to play with passion because they're playing for a particular side I like players to identify with the team that they're playing for but it is absurd to think of football as anything other than a profession and I have a certain sympathy with people who know that by the age of 32 or 33 they're going to be finished Um, I've just finished reading Tony Cascarino's autobiography um, which I know came out a long time ago but it really evokes that sense of diminishing returns as you get older and, and what do you do when you're 34, 35, you wake up you've got no options you can't play professional football anymore if, if you're in any other business then you're allowed to strive to be the best in your company or to move to another one and it seems really weird that we kind of expect footballers to be different from yeah. that when we would do it ourselves in our chosen professions which is why I guess they kind of see management as the natural step, even if they're not suited to it or they don't actually have the qualifications or coaching for it. Mm. Well, going back to uh, Nathaniel Klein, um, he's now being touted for England um, well, because Carl Walker's injured and Glenn Johnson's... Glenn Johnson. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and also he scored also a screamer. He's, he's injured as well. Yeah, he's, he scored a screamer against Arsenal. Um, but as, as you said, with this, this 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 kind of nice atmosphere for young players coming through at Southampton, there's almost a. I mean, before the summer, Shaw, Lalana, um, um, Count Chambers, um, they they were all almost talked about as like a new class of '92 almost coming through. There was, there was a kind of like a unit about them. Um, are Southampton possibly key to England's future? Is it becoming a more dynamic and exciting team? I think the. The core of, of that team is... I mean, the, the core of the starting eleven is not English. Um, but in terms of it being a conveyor belt for youth talent, potentially it is. I think that is that is in some ways as much a reflection of the disregard that other clubs have for young English talent than it is a reflection of how well Southampton do it. Um, there is, to my mind, there's very much a contrast. You do get young English players appearing at other teams and Sterling at Liverpool is a fantastic example of that Barkley might be you know but, heading, heading from Everton to, to yeah. City or Chelsea or but, but you know you, you kind of see those moves and, and I always look at them and think is that effectively you know remember how talked up Jack Rodwell was yeah. two years ago and what's he done since um, I know he's had problems with injury and so on but I, I think what, what Southampton does for its young English players is, is it engenders belief you can go and stake a place in the first team, doesn't matter if you're 18, 19 years old, and then you can play competitive premiership football, attractive football as well, in a mm. successful side, mm. and go on from there. And 
there's a work ethic about the way they play as well, which I think is encouraging. Yeah, yeah. And that's the sort of player that you want for England. Um, so in that respect, yes. But then I think if <coughs> if other teams like your United's, Arsenal's, Cities, whatever, had a better attitude towards English youth, Southampton would be less of an interesting contrast. Okay, in in Holland, obviously Ajax. <coughs> I mean, the whole the, the national team owes a lot to Ajax in terms of philosophy and players over the years. Um, do you think it's possible that you know Southampton, uh, maybe not directly, but it influence all these players going to different bigger clubs? They they could almost become an Ajax for a new generation of of, of England teams. Um, perhaps. Yeah, I've just been listening to this discussion, and I do think that Southampton can be very important for for England. Maybe one of the problems England are facing is the fact that, you know, these big clubs like Manchester United and Chelsea, it's, even if they have English players in their first team, it's such a weird environment, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And um, the things you were talking about, um, clubs like Chelsea and Manchester United and Manchester City and to Liverpool as well, they don't really have time for all of that, do they? They just want to win the league next year and if they have to buy Falcao and Di Maria to do that they'll do that mm. um, <clears throat> you are putting United in a bracket at the moment they probably deserve to be in but I do thank you for that so, um. <laughs> yeah so in that regard um, I think Southampton could be um, could be a very uh, very important environment for young uh, English players and it will attract English players as well because they need a stepping stone like that and they know they are not going to get that. Well, they could, but not in not as likely a, a, a club like Chelsea or Manchester United or Liverpool. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I think it, from a Dutch perspective, exactly as you were saying yeah. before, players like Classy Martin Zindi coming into the Dutch national team and doing well, mm. they'll look at Kerman's record of developing young players and see that he can potentially do the same with us as well yeah that's yeah yeah in that regard I think Southampton and Koeman are a good fit yeah um okay um to keep the, the Southampton link going um actually should we touch on uh, Liverpool's amazing 30 penalties with Borough um, yeah if you want yeah 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 no it was pretty bizarre I thought it was, it was quite an interesting watch from a, from a neutral perspective but you're not a neutral really, are you? Because you definitely want to do away team to win. Wow, yeah. wow. Neutrals don't exist in club football. No, it's true, it's um, true, it's true. No, but I, I mean, you were saying before the pod, you didn't think the standard penalties was, was as high as you've seen in, in some of the shootouts. No, yeah, it wasn't It wasn't really, like... I've seen very good penalty shootouts before where the ball's being fired into, you know, the roof of the net. Um, and But, yeah, this this one, it just seemed to be the... I don't, I don't know if, if, if the, the keepers were very good or... Every, every ball just happened to go to the back of the net but I didn't really see any that were just unsavable there yeah. were a few that were unsavable but, but not the majority of them but they were good penalties weren't they oh yeah I mean you know it's 120 minutes Lallana's penalties were both totally unsavable yeah they were awesomely good well where did they learn that uh, yeah. Yeah. It was reach as well for um, Borough. His penalties were fantastic. They went straight out of reach, weren't they? They were out of reach. It's a good thing for England if Lallana knows how to take penalties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Break the habit of a lifetime. I thought Ayala's was good. Kind of like that Diaz one from the World mm. Cup. To be fair, you, you say you know it's difficult to remember the penalties. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. I can hardly remember any of the penalties. You were in a fog of emotion. I remember Colo's penalty because that was just. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I was, 
That was almost an apology for what happened earlier, wasn't it? It was just like... Yeah, I mean, it, it, it seems inevitable that Sterling was going to miss his... Given, yeah. the way, given the fact that he uh, sort of gave Burrow the ball in the final minute of extra time. Um, I think the one big plus point from the whole game for Liverpool was probably Suso. Um, he, how many penalties did he take in the end? Two. Two. Okay. So he scored a hat trick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he was really encouraging to see because he's a guy who uh, was fast tracked into the first team a couple of seasons ago along with Sterling under Rogers and then had a year abroad and is now back but was very close to leaving along with Barini. He's very highly rated within the fans, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think he, he's also uh, one of the final Benitez signings, along with Sterling. He was brought in just like sort of just at the end of Benitez's uh, reign. So it's could you just say something about Suzo in your Benitez um, impression because it, it's it's fantastic. <laughs> Please, a little bit of request. <laughs> you put me on the spot. I can't. I have. I have. No. Uh, no. Oh, James. Oh, I don't have to edit that now. Oh, well. Yeah. I didn't realise Sterling was a Benitez signing. Yeah. That was John Joe Shelby. Yeah. yeah. Well, that worked out well. Yeah, well, made a profit. That's what it's about in football. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I, I completely knocked off Kilton uh, for a yeah, second. Comedy bit that didn't really do anything. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm terrible. Um, it's my fault. Charleston. It's my fault. Please. I can't even think what he'd say. Suzo, Suzo was, was yeah, one yeah, final. Sure, sure. Um, his quality. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so you can go back to the. To the, to the, to the, to the. I'm sorry. <laughs> so Suzo was one of Rafa's last signings. Yeah, and so I think amongst certain sections of the fan base, there's a will to want him to, to prove to be a good, successful player at Liverpool. And, he could be the Raffulation um, cometh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> um, but it, there definitely seems to be a future for him. There's been talk of a new contract, so no, it's, that's definitely a, a plus point. Cause, one, one, just just, just yeah. to, on the point of popularity, one player that doesn't seem to be as taken by the carp of late is, um, is Lovren. Yeah. Um, and it was quite strange because he he, made, he kicked quite a fuss about leaving Southampton for Liverpool, didn't he? He really did, didn't he? He it, yeah. There's there's any ill feeling for a move, and then there's that. Is there any ill feeling within the Saints fan base to him that could maybe explain his lack of, you know, uh, loving with the cop? No, I, I think to be honest, he'd not been with us for long enough. I mean, yeah, he kind of paved with any player that that's that obvious about it, mm. but. Um, no, uh, I think I think it's it's unfortunate when a when a player so blatantly. De- I know this is going to sound like I'm massively contradicting myself from previously. <laughs> I think it's all the manner about which you do things and um, just don't burn your bridges. Just don't be a prick, yeah. really. Um, yeah. And and Lalana was kind of a five out of ten prick, whereas Lovren was maybe an eight out of ten, right? Um, but Lambert one out of ten probably. Yeah, Lambert totally, absolutely. Even because that's the jar of beetroot for everyone to enjoy when you're I, I suspect so. <laughs> I love a bit of beetroot. Oh yeah. yeah. But no, I mean Does he work in a beetroot factory? I'd never heard Don't of think that was in mate, that, that was Surely no. not. No, um you know, Lambert going to his boyhood club, he's been with us for ages, he'd consistently done well for us. I don't think anyone begrudged him that. 
Mm. Plus he's 32 and 4 million for that. Decent. Yep. Not bad um, I think you overpaid for that, to be honest. Join back. <laughs> you got bad telly now, you No, know, I think we're pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but to return to the point of loving, why, why has he not been taken in he's by not the... Been very good. No? No. And when you spend a million on a centre-back, you expect... I guess, but I mean, Liverpool centre backs have been pretty dire for a while. So. Yeah, I, I also think I also think he's come in and been given a bit too much responsibility. It's almost right. as if it's like you are twenty million centre back, sort this out because yeah. we concede loads of goals and we're convinced it's personnel issues, not system mm. systematic mm. issues. Let's so sort mm. it out. It, it, but it um, can't be because those some of those players start really well mm. or are really good when they come to Liverpool like Lovren like Sarko and and disintegrate like what what's is it communication with the goalkeeper is it yeah I mean quite a few times I've seen quite a few times I've seen Lovren and Sarko going for the same ball Um, I mean they're both kind of front foot first centre backs Mm. you know rather than the English kind of centre back who takes a step back and Plays it a bit late. They try and get on it, get on the ball early, so they're kind of doing the same thing, which leaves a gap in behind. And then you've got Simon Mignolet, who is just rooted to his line. He doesn't know when to go out. He doesn't know when to stay on his line. So whenever he does go out on his line, he runs past the ball or something stupid, you know. And then you've got Gerard in front, who I don't think really inspires that much confidence at the moment if he's playing ninety minutes three times a week. Mm. So. I do, I do think above all it's Lovren's been given too much to do too soon um, and yeah it's, it's just a bit it's just a bit of a mess well there was a time when people were wondering who's better Courtois or Mignolet yes. yeah. who will be how quickly that was resolved I guess it is Courtois now isn't it I think it was resolved <laughs> yeah. as soon as anyone started paying attention yes that was the only debate there was talk of Mignolet um, was kind of caught in the middle of a transition from becoming the the keeper was at Sunderland, the sweeper keeper that Rogers probably well, wants. He's not. He's never going to be a sweeper keeper. You look at him. He's not got it in him, has he? He hasn't really he's, got keeping in him at times. So well, we can all know like he's a good shot stopper, but like that's a requisite for any goalkeeper. Yeah. You can't just buy a goalkeeper because he's a good shot stopper. If you especially want not for Liverpool, who play the way they play, they need a goalkeeper. Like Pepe Reina, Reina of two thousand and five would be perfect for this Liverpool team. But speaking of which, we Victor Valdez might still be on his way, I believe, or is that yeah? Um, because he obviously did his. Knee injury, dead knee injury in March, and so he's a free agent, and it can be done any time. I think they wanted to prove his fitness first, which right. I think might happen in October, November time. Liverpool should have just got Michel Form. Yes, I, I, I agree with that. Absolutely agree. Um, I, well, I don't know why he's wasting the way on the on the top and bench. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that but, brings us to an interesting point. With Vardes coming to Liverpool, I mean, um, maybe we don't think Mignolet is a top keeper after saying that, but there is a trend at the moment for club, clubs getting, you know. Two top players in in a very you know limited position. There's only one goalkeeper in the team. Um, as you say, Vorm's gone to Spurs, where he's got to compete with um, well, Francis number one and Brad um, Friedel and Brad Friedel, of course, who is um, matches an Asian number one. Tottenham's pundit. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but you've seen it at Bayern Munich. They've they've now got Reiner. Yeah. Um, it does make Liverpool's system of having Brad Jones as number two particularly outdated. Yeah, yeah. But why do we why do we think clubs are stockpiling on on? Talented goalkeepers because like I said, you've got Barcelona doing it, Chelsea are doing it, uh, Real Madrid did it last season. I think, I think it's done it though. partly, yeah, yeah and and, yeah. and Barca have done it with Bravo. <coughs> I think it's partly because the way that goalkeeping has changed in the last two or three years, 
um, particularly the last two or three years, means that the goalkeeping position is more physically dynamic than it was previously. Um, the extreme of that are, are players like Neuer, obviously, but they are they're coming further out. Um, they're taking responsibility higher up the pitch. Um, I think they're simply put, therefore, more likely to incur injury. And if you have a team that relies on having a certain kind of goalkeeper, and if you look at Loris and Vaughan, they are similar kinds of goalkeepers. Mm-hmm. Having the the danger of one getting themselves injured. If you're Barcelona and you've got Victor Valdez as your number one, who is a superb goalkeeper, and your number two is Pinto, yeah, you kind of got problems if Valdez is injured for a long period of time. I always thought when they called him the cup goalkeeper, it's almost like a euphemism, isn't it? It's... Yeah, I mean, he looked like a sort of somebody from a Rage Against the Machine cover band, <laughs> um, and I kind of always admired him for that. But I, th- I think, yeah, I think the goalkeepers, in terms of their their offensive skills, are becoming more important, and they're being encouraged to play particularly with high-pressing possession-based games, they're being encouraged to play further up. Mm. Sillison, for example, could, mm. you know, very much part of that. I was about to bring you in on that, actually. Um, is, is it as, as well as having keepers that can back each other up, is there, is there potentially clubs that want a sweeper-keeper and a shot-stopper, like, like Holland used at the World Cup, perhaps? Because they had Sillison for the for 90 minutes, and then, obviously, the man cruel came in for the... Um, right. Well, yeah... I mean, is Cruel a, a particularly good shot stopper, or was that just um, an insane uh, psychological? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I mean, what you saw at the Netherlands as well was that the position of goalkeeper was highly competitive, mm. and I think actually that it made all keepers involved better keepers mm. to have this competition around. They train. You got to remember, goalkeepers train together every day as well. So most of the time, you got three goalkeepers most of the time. That a lot of the times they are a tight bunch. They'll literally they'll they'll train together every Mm. day, and knowing knowing that one of the guys is the first goalkeeper and you're second, that must be something that. Uh, is on your mind as well during training. Well, Chesney came up with some really interesting quotes at the start of the season. Mm. Uh, is it Os- Ospina? Um, since he's not my friend, I-, I don't care if he gets games or not. He was quite, you know, <laughs> yeah, quite funny- volatile about it. Oh, yeah. But the funny thing is, probably they are friendly to each other because they are training together every day. So you've got this weird dynamic of being, like, in the same position, kind of, yeah. and being... And at the same time, there's competition between those three goalkeepers. But it's not it's not really a position you can rotate, though, because surely that creates um, know, like a chemistry at the back, uncertainty. Yeah, it's the worst. Well, thing Ferguson used to do that sometimes. Well, well you got heavily... I was back to the one time. Ferguson's got it, a great it, record with goalkeepers. Yeah. I mean, he signed one decent goalkeeper. Two. Well, three, actually. Two, if you can. De Gea. De Gea, Van der Sar, Schumacher. Uh, yeah, okay, Van der Sar. Yeah, I forgot. Oh, he, I mean, to some people, he's arguably our best keeper of the third year. I know it's contentious because Schmeichel was a beast, but no, Van, Van der Sar behind Rio and Vidic, that was a, as a unit, that was hard yeah, to As a unit? Yeah. But then that was interesting because Van der Sar was, was arguably getting towards the end of his career. He'd mm. already done Juventus, he'd done Fulham, and he seemed to be winding down, but there was... He winded down for about eight years. Yeah, yeah, but it, it was the, the the calmness and the experience and the authority that he brought to yeah. that, as much as anything else, that made him 
superb. Mm. Um, no, I think the, the point that Elko is making about keepers training is, is beautifully evoked in the Robert Anker book mm. um, about his depression and ultimately a suicide because he does the, the guy who writes that book talks a lot about the, the psychological pressures of being a goalkeeper and training in such close proximity to your immediate rival and how the relationship that you develop and interestingly with Ankara is with Valdez mm. and, and they become good friends or not good friends but they have a very healthy working relationship mm. um, which improves both of them and they learn from each other um, I think if you don't have that, it can be catastrophic. Mm. Um, and if you don't have a second-choice goalkeeper who is regularly pushing the first-choice goalkeeper, then that also can lead to complacency and all the rest of it, because you aren't going to get rotated. Mm. Any manager with any sense will not rotate their goalkeepers. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree with that, but I also sometimes think it's a bit of a cliche to say that all goalkeepers need competition. It's kind of putting goalkeepers under a uniform blanket that are all the same and all they need is competition to get the best out of them. Whereas some of them just need their ego massage. They need to know they're number one. So for some of them, they need, num- num- they need to be number one. They need to have the assurance that if I cock something up, I'm not, off, I'm not on the bench. I think De Gea is definitely benefiting. Exactly. That's, that's the point entirely, mm. is that De Gea was so misused by Ferguson in that first season. Because mm. as soon as he made an error or two, Lindegaard's in. Lindegaard yeah. makes an error, De Gea's in. Yeah. For some goalkeepers, and especially maybe for a 20-year-old who's coming into a new country, playing in a new league, he needs that assurance that, look, you've got six months to a year, you know, just to play. Mm. When, they've got, when they've got someone breathing down their neck and they're under pressure and they know they're under pressure, that's when it just the, it sets in in their minds and, you know, that's when problems occur sometimes. Talking about focus and morale and minds, um, I, th- I think you said this in a previous pod maybe about the, the idea of the, the secondary keeper almost being like the, the, the squad jester. Pepe Reina for Spain being is a perfect the, um, example. He's the, he's, the, the, holiday, the club holiday rep. Yeah, he was the 18 to 30 yeah. club Come on, guys, let's go, let's go play volleyball yeah. in the pool. Exactly, exactly. Two till three. Is, is, you know, is, is that maybe why we've seen... Is that why Brad Jones is still at Liverpool? Well, no, do you reckon there's an element of that when, when, a, when a club are looking to sign um, a competitor first? I think, well, if he doesn't get games, will he bring something to the, to the squad besides his goalkeeping ability? And maybe Bra- Bravo's quite, quite an experienced guy, really, to go to Barcelona, and he's probably not going to be the long-term guy there because they really rate Ter Stegen. I think within any club, there's, there's a premium on experience, and, and on having been there and done that um, and there certainly might be something to that particular I guess in a club like Barcelona that does put such a heavy emphasis on the development of youth I think also you, to an extent maybe you look at the fact that the majority of, of very good second choice keepers come from the same league as the club that's bought them and, and there may even be something just in the fact that actually um, Barcelona didn't want anyone else to have Bravo, so they bought them. Mm. You know, it's kind of the, the Chelsea would not sell Czech to another plus, plus as well, Barca were probably just preparing for two years. Yeah. And just thinking, we just need to get a couple of goalkeepers That's in case anything happens. Yes. You know, they, you know they, how many bands have they got? Two? Yeah. Two or three transfers? Two windows. Yeah, so... Yeah. I think they needed to make just reassurance. They were stocking up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and in that position, I think particularly, and when you've got Tushtegan 
has the potential to be a phenomenal goalkeeper, but he is prone to lapses of concentration. Yeah. He made some quite public catastrophic fuck ups with Mention Gladback last season. Yeah. yeah. And and so having an older, experienced international who either will be able to step into the fray if Tush Dagan fucks up <laughs> or will be able to put an arm around him and say, Listen, this stuff happens, don't worry about it. You know, and, and you don't know and you don't know what Claudio Bravo is like and you don't know how they're going to run that system but it, it'll be one of the two mm. Um, mm. that's very sensible thinking from Barcelona I'd say just to go to the idea of um, Testegan being a bit um, bit dodgy but obviously the potential's there I think he got as I started up before but he got he had more touches um, in the Bundesliga last year than Luis Suarez had in the Premier League um, what? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, he is Sweeper, the sweepy, the sweeper keeper. Basically, he's, okay. he's he's doing it to the max. Is he Jorge Campos? Reincarnate. Yeah, but German. Okay. So he's he and makes not five point. foot six. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, should we move on now to maybe Van Hal? Because uh, I know you were maybe were you a bit surprised by the Suns' kind of reaction to kind of saying Van Hal. You know, he's not as good as Moyes. Sack him. He's rubbish. And they were probably writing him off in that back page that they mm. they did. Um, yeah, I was a little bit surprised because I had the feeling that there was quite a lot of um, trust in Van Gaal coming from the British press in general. A lot of the newspapers were actually, they really admired him. Mm. And there was quite a lot of faith, I believe. And fans as well, fans as well as the newspapers seemed to realise, okay, this might take a while. We've got an experienced manager here. Let's give it at least a year, probably. Something they weren't really prepared to... Well, they were to an extent prepared to do with Moyes as well, but that's another story. Um, so, yeah, so it's quite early on to um, to start writing stuff like that, I think. So I was surprised to see that. Mm. Do you reckon it'll affect Van Hal? Will it make him become more... You know, because he's, he, yeah, he's very sure of himself. Do you reckon it will kind of drive him on or put that in his mind? Yeah, I think it will drive him on. Yeah. It should never be too nice to Van Gaal. <laughs> Maybe if people... Start uh, questioning him, he'll he'll start to thrive. Who knows? I mean, no, he does seem to. Conflict has chased him around wherever he's gone. I think he has gotten much more. Uh, he has by now maybe learned how to do to prevent that a little bit. Mm. He has become better at that, I believe. But um, yeah, I mean, a uh, uh, Van Gaal stint wouldn't be the same without any conflict. So mm. uh, he's probably thinking, bring it on. What, what would you say the, the biggest shocks that you've had watching him kind of transition into Man United? Are there any decisions or any selections or any tactical ideas he's had that you've been like, that's a bit, that's a bit strange? I was very surprised to see the 3-5-2 uh, formation at the start of the season. Obviously, he's done it with uh, the Netherlands. We were surprised to see it with the Netherlands. But then to see him take that along with him to Manchester United, that was very strange. And now, actually... Um, and now he's, he's uh, stepping away from that already, actually. He's going 4 4 2 down. Yeah, yeah. Because everyone wants to play the diamond. Wow, wow. And we, we haven't actually seen him use what used to be his signature uh, formation, just mm-hmm. the 4 3 3. But he has hints that it's strange. He keeps, he keeps saying in his press conferences, like, there was a bit like, but maybe Jan and I will get games when we bring back the 4 3 3. He's kind of. <laughs> he's, he, it's like he's saying, like, you know. Later this season. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's utopia. Yeah. Roy's utopia. Yeah. Roy Hodgson did this thing. All right. We can 
Let's let's move on. Come on, it's it, was, it was four years ago. It was four years ago. Now. And I think I think one thing I'd say quickly about United is that more than any of the other big sort of six or seven clubs, they're bedding in quite a number of new players. So they have got new players, they've got a new manager, and it seems to me that it's quite natural that there would be a period of transition and things not going immediately as well as they ought to. I, I don't think it's well, that surprising Even with all, all that, when you're 3-1 up at Leicester, you with half an hour to go, you shouldn't lose 5-3. Yeah, but you get... like Results like that occur weirdly anyway. Mm. Um, there's always... And, and I have to say, I've done... I've watched Leicester a couple of times this season now. Yeah, they're and yeah. they're a fuck of a lot better than you think they'd be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're exactly the sort. They're the best, of they're the best there, mate. promoted team, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. and 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 they get right in your face, and they press very high. They're very athletic, um, and they are the sort of side that will unsettle slightly creaky or young defences. He's done his you work on how to excel in the Premier League, Pearson. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. And Dean Hammond is rocking it. Which I like to see because he's a former Saints fan. Um, but yeah, I just I think, uh, like Alco says, Van Hal will just go. Don't really give a fuck. I'll show them. Do you think results like that five three and the loss to MK Dons? We talk about Ter Stegen and then having his fuck ups, but the potential's there. Do you think the ideas are beginning to kind of form in Van Hal's mind of how he can go forward, even though the mistakes are still coming? Is he learning from what's happening now? Do you think? I think he is learning, but I think it is um, it is more di- even more difficult than he expected. Mm. I think it is proving to be very very difficult. Um, I think he said that it takes him about ten weeks to instill his philosophy. Yeah, and I think he's made comments about it taking two months to sort of um, get a team to play the way he wants to, and he mm. seems to have changed his mind how he wants this. Um, and you know it's quite to play yeah so yeah I think it might take a while longer and I think it's it's probably probably the the, the stuff he's trying to teach is probably more uh, radical for for the squad he's, he's having, he has now than he expected it to be so I might I think it might take a while longer do you think a lot of the players in the United squad um, are lacking certain skills and values that Dutch players generally take for granted well especially with the 3-5-2 you can see some of the centre-backs sometimes having the ball and just literally not knowing what to do with it mm. and um, uh, yeah I think that might be um, a lack of vision and a lack of um, yeah able to read the game able to understand what it means to transition from defending to attacking mm. and what it means to set up an attack um, I mean, obviously, some English defenders are great at that, I'm not saying. But, I mean, you need to be able to read these situations. And I think while a lot of United's players and their young players are obviously quite skilled and they know how to play football, that might be something, that kind of vision, that, uh, you know, the skills that it takes to interpret the game, um, they might lack in that. And I think that might have been... uh, that might have been. That's one of the reasons why Van Gaal might be struggling a bit more than he expected. He's, we will know he's, he's a, a qualified teacher, isn't he? Yeah. So it's <laughs> yeah. almost like the kids are coming to the class and the, their parents haven't taught them the basic manners and life skills to succeed in the class he's trying to teach. Maybe. Yeah. But, 
Johnny Evans at the back throwing little rolled up bits of paper at his yeah, head. Yeah. Phil yeah. Jones keeps leaving his planner at home or something like that. Phil Jones is off sick. Yeah. All the defenders are off sick, so they're not learning yeah, anything. Yeah, injuries are there at the moment? Uh, Smalling's probably out. Um, Evans is out. Jones is out. Blackett's um, suspended. So we're probably yeah, going to end up with... Shaw's out, obviously, still. So no, no, no. He's still fat. Wow. Wow. He's, he's Rooney-esque. Let's just say he's got a Rooney build. Um, but apparently the, the central defence this weekend is going to be Marco Rojo and Paddy McNair from the under-21 <laughs> team. <laughs> so... Great He's never even been that good on football manager, so I'm, I'm shitting it, mate. I've never even heard of him, which, given that I play a lot of football manager, is quite surprising. And Greg, you as uh, someone who follows Manchester United... I do, yeah. Would you not say that it's a capital mistake not to get another quality centre-back? Yeah. Yeah, big time. Uh, I think Vermaelen was the one that got away, um, hugely. Although, I mean, Arsenal wouldn't have sold him to us unless we gave him Smalling. Which, that sounds like that sounds like wow. Wenger's trying to. That's like, yeah, that, that, that was Wenger's Wenger trolling you. <laughs> Wenger's basically saying like, I'm gonna, if you're going to buy my defender, I'm going to force you into the same defensive selling tactics that I do. In that, I'm going to buy players, but I'm going to sell them, so I still don't have an advantage numerically. Ah, I'm Wenger, injury it, crisis. But I do find it strange though that you've got, and you mentioned Arsenal, but you've got these clubs that seem to have an absolute blind spot where the recruitment in one position is concerned. Yeah, there, there, there are throughout. It's weird. With, with, with Arsenal and United, it's both centre-mids, defensive mid and, and centre-mid. Well, Liverpool, yeah. Liverpool are the yeah. same as yeah. well. You know, yeah. I don't know if there's just no good defensive midfielders or centre-backs. Well, I don't I, well, no, because everyone was have, fucking creaming them. Am I allowed to swear? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everyone was creaming themselves over players like William Carvalho. So he's, he's creaming a bigger swear word than fuck. <laughs> no, I was checking about oh. fuck. Okay. Yeah. Because we already had a fuck, so you went, can I swear? And he went, creaming. <laughs> no, so okay. I was just, you know. no, that's just naughty. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, Carvalho is an odd one. Like, everybody was talking about buying him. He looked fantastic when he came on for that one yeah, yeah. half for Portugal yeah. in the World Cup. Just absolutely everything that you would want. I mean, he is like 20. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. and and there are there are plenty of players out there. Most of them are French, who are very good defensive. Well, Zuma. <coughs> Zuma's a centre back. Yeah, well, I'm talking about in terms of oh, defensive yeah, I'm players. I'm talking about that sort of screening midfield, right? Sorry, so, like people like Yanam Vio, or you know, it's that those Jeffrey Kondogbia, those players yeah. are out there. Yeah. For some reason, nobody seems. It's it's like let's gather up all of the attacking central midfielders that we can possibly find and hoard them from everyone. But isn't that because that's kind of how the game's gone? Because everyone's had a double pivot for so long, you need the numbers in your attacking midfield to overwhelm it, and therefore your defensive midfielders need to actually be almost like playmakers now. You, you can't really have Makaleli's anymore, but maybe that's going to change again. Maybe that's but I, gonna... d- I don't agree with that. I think if you, if you set up in a, a 4-2-3-1, one of your central two has to be a defensive midfielder or a defence-minded midfielder. Now, they could be quite a deep-lying playmaker, but if you look mm-hmm. at, at City, which are arguably the side who've done the 4-2-3-1 most successfully... I think Chelsea are doing it well this season. Chelsea are doing it well this season, but there's... You know, they, they have... Chelsea have got Matic, and you could say that Toure's like that, you could say Fernandinho's like that, Fernando's like That's that. That's what I mean, they're not they, McAlady players, they've got more to them. They're almost like the box-to-box midfielder, but just back a bit. I... I... When you say McAlady, then... I'm yeah, saying it's okay. like someone... As a specific back. thing, but, but I think that that doesn't mean 
that they're not defensive midfielders. I think that the, the no, no. role of defensive yeah. midfielder yeah. in that way has yeah. evolved. But they have great ability in tackle. They have strength and presence and the ability to break up play mm. as well as then transition, which is what Carvalho, for example, has got. To be fair, just to take it back to the start, I mean, would we all agree that the best person in the Premier League at that is probably Shadowing? Yes. And he was the player that I actually think was, like you say, he's your most important player and I was surprised that there wasn't a bigger push to get him. I mean, Blin's been great at United, but I thought Schneider well, I think it sounds like Schneider just wasn't allowed to leave well of course of course think. but, but, but also, Arsenal and Spurs did go but I'm, surpri- I'm surprised Liverpool went in for Lallana before yeah, so, I mean, Schneiderlin Liverpool crying out for Schneiderlin mm. someone like that Jimmy Big Joe Allen isn't satisfactory I think Gerald's not satisfied that's the problem isn't it yeah Joe Allen wouldn't be in that position um, but Joe, I Joe, Joe, Allen. Joe Allen was was originally designed for when <laughs> designed, when designed in some way I, I yeah. see football in a beach players, factory <laughs> I see football players as, as an arrangement of numbers between 1 and 20 yeah <laughs> um, yeah but that's to me that's what Joe Allen is, is he is actually that sort of player and he just hasn't been used in that way yeah I think he was used more defensively when he first came into Liverpool probably because uh, because of a numbers issue I think Lucas had an injury which means Liverpool needed someone back there Gerald hadn't been moved back there yet Joanna went back there a bit and struggled mm. and he's in, for Liverpool at the moment his best position is being uh, in the two in a midfield diamond um, alongside someone like Henderson for instance but Lucas is an interesting one because he almost sums up what what I was trying to say with the kind of the destroyer is almost dead you need to be a destroyer well I mean he is literally dead I mean yeah. his legs have died <laughs> Lucas, uh, he played 120 minutes uh, on Tuesday, so yeah, I think his funeral's tomorrow. Um, Fair enough. But Lucas is more than a destroyer. Lucas wasn't a Macaulay player. No, I, I mean, yeah, in Lucas's heyday, he was a, he was brilliant at, at pressing, and he just had a great energy about him. He he would cover a lot of ground. Well, I think Macaulay's skill, to me, was much more. A reading of the game, Position. sort of a, a shuttling across a line that was maybe 15, 20 yards in front of the penalty box line yeah. and breaking play up and intercepting yeah. it rather than what we do now, which is these players that rush in and press. But Makaleli was a destroyer in a 4 3 3, wasn't it? He was at Chelsea, yeah. Yeah. So he had two more creative players in front of him. Yeah. Yeah. So the 4 2 3 1. Can you think of any four, two, three ones with two destroyers? Not so two destroyers. No. Well, but that's what I mean. Because you've had to take that one player from the three <coughs> forward to overwhelm the two double pivot, which is two defensive players. Yeah. That's required the, the the holders that are left to do a bit more with the ball because you can't just have one out and out defensive player in the midfield anymore. They've all got to have do a bit more. They need to. But the do. double the double pivot was never two Macaleos. No. No, but it, it did go that way. There was before kind of Spain. And then Tikitaka came through. That everyone was worried about the, the death of the midfield because there were often of teams were lined up with two uh, very conservative holding holding midfielders. The Netherlands was... with Mark van Bommel and Nigel de Jong. Wow, that is uh, two. That's two destroyers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, But apart from that, well, that that was the kind of I've, I've, there were a few. I mean, Mourinho got accused of it a couple of times as well. Oh, right. but that's very Mourinho. But, but in fairness, actually, that's. That Netherlands example you've just cited is pretty much the only one I can think of. Yeah, yeah. Where it is so obviously the case. Yeah, because even with Mourinho at Real Madrid, he'd have Xabi, Alonso. Yeah. And you could, that's a 
deep line playmaker rather than oh the massively yeah mm-hmm. so yeah you're right that's the only thing that Netherlands team's the only team I can think of although people might be underestimating Mark Van Bommel a little bit I think they definitely <laughs> do in England that's, that's, uh, that's interesting so I think we should probably wrap it up um, on, on this this pod's funny little ending question um, in the news we've had um, Stephen Colcook was wrongly arrested for stealing a bit of cheese which he didn't steal he was a pot of Philadelphia was it Felix McGatt's cheese it wasn't it wasn't but there has been more cheese related news um, this week it's been a very cheesy week for football it's been a bit yeah, strange yeah, yeah. apparently Felix McGatt wants to get another job in England he doesn't think that his um, he thinks he could still be put to yeah he's still got stuff to offer yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. very strange man so yeah Corker didn't steal the cheese but he was accused of it um, and then we've also got this very dark story um, um, of Gan being um, Asimo Gan being accused of killing a rapper um, as human sacrifice to improve his career um, so in a very tasteless and crass manner um, I want to ask you who would you <coughs> what would your sacrifice be to become a professional footballer and then what would be the thing you would steal to jeopardise that career Oko, would you like to go first? <laughs> it reminds me of a story in the Netherlands. There's a famous comedian called Theo Maas. He's very famous back in the Netherlands. And what he did once, he's a huge PSV Eindhoven fan. He was on a tour in their stadium once. You know, one of those tours mm. where someone shows you around. There's like a museum with all the trophies. And he stole PSV's UEFA Cup. <laughs> The actual trophy. And he's a PSV fan. Yeah. And he stole it. He took it home. Like, he managed to just take it home with him. And it was just gone for years and years. Like, PSV didn't know what happened. The trophy was gone. And then live on Dutch National TV, he got it out of his bag years and years later and just showed it on TV. I'm sorry, I stole the UEFA Cup. And, um... Is it the old, really big UEFA Cup? Like yeah, that must yeah. Have been a huge bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just yeah, the UEFA yeah. Cup. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. The trophy. Wow. And people thought it was a hoax or something like that, but it wasn't. He genuinely <laughs> really stolen it. Because he was a fan and he wanted to have that trophy and he got the other stole the trophy. So that is an example of what people might do to feel closer to their favourite football club. Yeah. So. But, but to answer the question, um, <laughs> what would be your sacrifice, and then what would you steal to then make that sacrifice a bit even more stupid to make? I guess. Well, the question is, would you want to be a professional footballer? Ah, ah. Wow. I would like to be a professional footballer. Yeah. But would I do for it? Almost anything. Okay. <laughs> so to get a straight answer, who would who would you sacrifice to be a footballer? Anyone? Are we safe in this room? <laughs> and what would you? Like, <laughs> no, no. A person? No, I'm not sure. I would sacrifice persons. So there are there are limits. But, but is there anything that would tempt your eye to, to steal it to put your career under jeopardy if you were somehow magic one up? Um, I guess you can't really have part B without part A, can you? So shall, shall we move on to <laughs> someone that will answer the question? Alex? Um, <clears throat> I think rather than seeing this purely as an opportunity to kill somebody that I don't like, mm. um, because fuck it, I could go and do that anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, surely taking something worthwhile from the world to become a footballer would make you a better footballer, because that's how evil schemes work, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, of course, yeah. It's, just, it's, it's just so beautiful to get something. Yeah, know? which does kind of prompt the question why Asamojan allegedly allegedly um, chose a rapper um, to kill but um, I think he was a big 
big artist. Right. So so he's just appropriating his fame, is he? Yeah. Maybe it's like Highlander. Um, well, I guess you know that that sort of thing of. I'm not saying he beheaded him or used a sword or anything, <coughs> or that he did it allegedly. That's eat yeah. the heart of your vanquished enemies, you gain their strength. Um, by that logic, um, I would probably have to kill a really, really good goalkeeper. Okay. Um, so I'm thinking. I mean, I would probably go and kill Peter Schmeichel. Which is a horrible thing to have to do. It's quite a task as well. He's a big guy. Yeah, but you know, I bag myself. Okay. Um, <laughs> plus, I'd use like a sniper rifle or something. I would okay. get my hands dirty, and then I would hopefully appropriate both his strength and his Danishness because I admire that also. Mm. Um, and what would you steal to then put your your games in, in jeopardy? The thing I would like most in the world, um, obviously, after being a professional footballer. No. <laughs> Um, it's going to be a weird answer but it is I'm not expecting anything else okay good <laughs> uh, it's it's called the Hengret Manuscript okay um, and it's it's one of the two extant manuscripts um, produced at the time um, that Chaucer was writing his original stuff yeah this is a well better answer than I was going to go and um, and yeah and it, it, it's it's basically one of the two manuscripts that collects um Chaucer's collected works more or less as close to the time that he wrote them and it's in the National Library of Wales and uh, that's the thing I'd most like to own so that's what I would risk everything for Good answer, Thank James you. Um, Well, I, I was thinking a, a target would probably be someone who uh, hosts a kind of TV comedy panel show um, I was initially thinking someone like Keith Lemon because he's a twat, but people <laughs> like him. And so... I think what kind of football that would make you as I'd, well. Exactly. I'd be like a highlights player, <laughs> wouldn't I? I'd be a match of the day player. Yeah. Um, I'd be a Lucas Podolski, wouldn't I? Yeah, Podolski um, would definitely what you get at killing Lemon. Definitely. Yeah. So maybe that's quite good because, you know, he's, he's, not, he's not had a bad career. No. And he's got um, the radar effect going on. He's <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, everyone likes you, but a lot of people... Just despise you. Yeah. Um, either that or someone like Stephen Fry, maybe. If 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 it's like like Alex says, you you kind of you kill them and you you take what makes them so good. So I become like some cerebral football player. Um, Except Stephen Fry is actually very good at cricket, or used to be. Right. You'll be the Phil Neville of the Norwich. Phil Neville. Yeah. 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 Okay. Cool. Yeah. And um, what steal? Uh, you are in East Anglia, so let's 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 put you in a you know. Okay, no, no, from still the <laughs> Bayer tapestry. But the this is this is this is highbrow shit. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel you gave me ideas, Alex. Yeah, I'm I'm on. feeling it weird. What I'm going to say now? Um, what are you going to steal? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that box will <laughs> The hearts of a nation. Um, who, who would I sacrifice? Um, like Cristiano Ronaldo, I'd sacrifice myself to be the best I can be. Not really. Um, can you sacrifice Elko to protect the rest of us? <laughs> That's a good idea. I'd sacrifice Elko, therefore completing my, my... What I was going to say is I wouldn't want to be an English footballer because of all the banter culture in the dressing room. So I'd sacrifice Elko, become a great Dutch footballer, <laughs> love it, and then... Greg um, Johnson. Gregory van der Jonsen. Yeah. I, that's already what I call myself in football manager games where I play as a Dutch manager. So <laughs> that, that would be... There you go. I, I came prepared. So um, and that's the fourth wall coming down. <laughs> that was, yeah. That was, yeah. 
Um, and what would I steal? What would I steal to? What, what, what's what's the biggest faux pas you can do um, in Dutch culture in terms steal of steal a dam? <laughs> I would I would steal <laughs> the defences, making sure I was the last great Dutch footballer because the country would be flooded. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's what I do, and therefore I would jeopardise my my, my career because I'd be in jail for, for horrendous terrorism. Um, on that note. <laughs> Another podcast down, another Dutchman offended. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of our um, terrible impressions last time? <coughs> yeah, I know. A lot of people do it. Uh, <laughs> you get it on TV as well. Like, there's this, um, that TV programme, The Great British Bake Off. They yeah. did it last week on there. <laughs> and uh, I think it's kind of racist. It's not very funny. But when it's on a podcast like The False Nine, it's all above board. Yeah, yeah, when it's a false line, it's yeah. all right. Don't yeah. impersonate Dutch people; they're scary. Well, you see, you see what I'm well, I'm, I'm part oh, Dutch, well. so I, you know they're my people. No, actually, Dutch people historically they've been quite uh, known for not really minding you making fun of them, and I, I, I really don't mind. I don't think it, most Dutch people don't mind. Make fun of Dutch people. That's my message. It's a good message. It's a good message. Um, That's a great message about the podcast. Yeah, but just don't flood them if you want to become a footballer. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've I've been Greg Johnson as usual, the host um, slash um, Dutch offensive kind of magnate. Yeah. Um, James, any any anything you have to leave at the end of the pod? No, I think we've you've co- covered everything. I think we covered all bases. Elko, thank you once again. Um, anything you'd like to, to say to our listeners? Um, not really, no. I enjoyed doing <laughs> a podcast. Thank you, Greg. No, thank, thank you. Um, and Alex, thanks for joining us. Um, any, anything new of you you'd like to promote? Promote? Or just, you know, just put out there? Um, You've got a new series on, on managing Udinese and football manager, haven't you? Yeah, I've, I've, got, I've now got four games running concurrently. <laughs> um, you, you're blogging about it for putting Neil's in goal. Yeah, I am, yeah. Um, Udinese, Welling... Um, Rambler Juniors in the second Uruguayan division um, and Man City I'm, I'm doing Man City and I mean, you're such a sellout Man City oh. well no it's oh. to see if somebody gave me the idea to see if you could actually effectively work a, a money ball recruitment system when you've got a shit ton of money and the pressure to buy high profile players mm. so yeah I'm writing about that cool really cool and, and some other things fantastic fantastic and um, we've got some big news for the false nine but uh, we're not quite ready to, to announce that yet but um Look forward to it in future pods. Um, thanks exciting. for listening. Yeah, exciting. Yeah. Um, thanks for listening and see you again soon. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.